that a lot of people do know what a codec is. We should not. You're not taping this. That part would be very bad. You don't want to tell your audience that you hang out with people who don't know what a codec is. <laughs> I don't know what a codec <laughs> is. <laughs> Hey everybody, Pre-Accident Podcast, Todd Conklin. I'm your host. Ooh, we've got a big day today. I'm excited. I'm always kind of excited. But this one's fun because um, I'm going to talk to our old buddy Mark Yeston. And I actually got to talk to him in real life, talking to him. Like, talking in the same place, talking. I mean, we were far enough apart, socially distanced and stuff. That wasn't hard. But it was kind of nice to actually have eye contact that wasn't through zoom or teams or one of those things. So it's a great conversation. And Mark is doing really interesting stuff around, uh, I would call them job task analysis or pre-job brief. That the sort of the, the start safe component of our business. And I, I'm actually super impressed with what he's doing. And it's weird because we should have been doing what he's been doing all along. But the way he crafts it with his crews, I can't say enough about. In fact, I you should tap into this for your company. Uh, call Mark or bring him in or steal his stuff or all three. Because he's doing things around pre-job that we just haven't thought of in a long time. I'm not sure we've ever done them this way. Um, and it's, it's way different. And it uses kind of two things. One, it they're clearly based upon normal work, which is very interesting and kind of meaningful at every level. They're also based upon the idea that the worker brings with them a set of expertise around this work that can't really be replicated other places, which again is obvious as the nose on your face, right? Except that uh, uh, for too long, I think we've fallen into classic Taylorism, which is, we will create a form that workers can use. We, in, we involve them, but we don't engage them. And that difference between involvement and engagement, although this is really consultant language, ugh, I hate it when I sound like this, but that, that's a pretty big difference. And so when the workers are on the pre-job, it's got a little more flair to it. And the idea that you start when safe, which is absolutely what we're going for, we've sort of not done that. And it's around the prevention bias and all the other kind of stuff. How's your December going? So we're getting close to the holiday season. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm sure I'll tell you in some kind of special podcast. At least that's my plan. Although this year is so freaking weird, I'm not sure I'll get it done because I don't know. It's it's I'm having to force myself to to move forward, which is kind of unlike me, um, and that's pretty telling. I mean, that tells me there's a lot of critical stress going on in my life, and, and I think I got it pretty easy. I can't even imagine what this is like for people that are really burdened with big changes personally and professionally. And there are people out there, God bless you all who are going through big changes and my heart's with you. There's no question about it. Anything we can do to help you tag in there. We're there for you. That's for sure. So that's the pod. It's, it's, it's a great pod. I think you're going to like it. It's, it's December, the month that kind of whirs by anyway, but it's December, 2020. So it's the month we can't wait for it to be over because this will indicate at least, psychologically there's a new beginning on the first of january as we move forward into the next year let's hope it's better you want to please go with that 
So th- let me chat less and uh, listen more. You're going to be a part of a conversation that Mark and I have, and it's just that. It's just a conversation. There was no agenda. There never is, really. But it's a great chance to talk about what Mark's bringing to the table. Please think about the way you're doing pre-job, the way you're credentialing people out to go into high-risk, high-consequence work, and think about does the tool we use actually make work better or does the tool we use actually make work more accountable? And then once you answer that question, then I think you might have some journey to go upon the a journey upon which you'll move. That's what you got coming up. So sit back and relax. I think you'll enjoy this immensely. It was really fun to do and it's fun to have you on board. So this is the pod. Here is Mark Yeston and myself chatting away. Sounds beautiful. Perfect. We're set. Good. Yeah, you sound good. Okay. So that's good. So we get that part worked out. So wait, I need to come a little closer. I can tell. I think. Oh, that's even better. Knowing what I know now. No. <laughs> well, you're. I should have had you bring your own microphone. That's, Is this dynamic? Or <laughs> I usually travel with my own microphone because I'm. <laughs> I'm such an expert. That's my ultimate procrastination project. Is the podcast? It's very fun, though. It's. I think your podcast is going. It's the first one's amazing. Yeah, it'll go downhill from there. I'm pretty sure. No, no. I, I think they get better. Actually, I hope so. Be, because you get better at doing it. But you you put a lot of thought into it. I don't put any thought into anything. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why no one listens to you. Uh, that's true. No, I just, I just you know, blab out Barking stuff. into the darkness. It's me. Barking into the darkness. Into the darkness is where I'm barking. So cool. So the reason I ask you to be on the podcast is I'm really interested in this new supervisor workshop you're doing because, well, two reasons. One is it's really getting uh, incredibly rave reviews. I mean, people are really learning and growing from it. And the other thing is, how are you doing it in the time of COVID? I'm curious in how how it's facilitated. Yeah, well, I've been, um, you know, before COVID, I'm spending a lot of time on different job sites and stuff like that, you know, working with workers and right. supervisors and Dirty managers. boots, dirty gloves. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> and uh, and the people who uh, are working for organizations who uh, have leadership that are, are becoming quite invested and interested in, in doing things this, these different ways and uh, often leaves their kind of middle management in sort of a, a tight spot. Like, how do we implement this? You know, is everything that we did in the past no good and we're switching over to something new? So I work a lot with folks like that. And uh, one of the things that just kind of keeps on coming up and up and again, I mean, cause Todd, you know, you get these calls all the time. You know, man, can you come out and help us with this event that we had? You know, how do we convince our people to care more, to watch out for each other, to, you know, follow our procedures? You know, can you please help us out? And I know that you don't like to tell them up front, but, you know, so often you get there, I would say probably even the majority of the time. And when, you know, a thoughtful you know, inquiry is done into the, the what surrounded the event, you find out that it was a normal day. It wasn't like that day the workers showed up and said, you know, let's go ahead and just ball this whole thing up uh-huh. and throw caution to the wind and maybe leave without some fingers. Here we go. <clears throat> That's extremely rare. And so discussing a lot with the, the, the folk, I mean, initially I, I started getting hired by people who wanted to, uh, you know, revamp their their pre-job analysis, their, you know, change the colors and the arrows and the books that everybody signs every day and, you know, look at their multi-page, you know, pre-job briefings and stuff. And, and you know, all that's 
pretty good stuff to some extent, but you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, those pre-job instruments that we give people that uh, have useful information on them, but pretty quickly become very redundant. Uh, we love them as managers because it's really easy thing to count for compliance. We can go out there and spot check and get really good information. But the juice that we get out of that squeeze, to borrow a phrase <laughs> from you, uh, diminishes pretty quickly. And you know, and, and from my background in you know emergency services and stuff, we got the best benefit from not so much pre-planning because we were very checklisty, and I'm, I'm all about checklists. I think that stuff is just fantastic and great. And we had, you know, ways to brief ourselves before we went in and, and engaged the work, um, often like pretty fast-paced, emergent kind of work. But the greatest benefit that we got to improvement and to safety and to efficiency was actually looking at the normal work, looking at the days when things went well, that, that critical part of, you know, debriefing the work that you've already done. And so what I've been working with people on is uh, it's, it's fine and great to structure conversations around envisioning the work, you know, the stuff that we are about to go do engaging that uh that brain simulator you know those discussions around essential controls and start work authority all that stuff is great you said before and i totally agree that workers have two kinds of time time to plan and time to actually engage the work and once you're engaged in the work that time for planning and thinking about it is kind of going away right um so yeah there's value there but you want to make it as brief and as efficient as possible and what you really want to get to is um operational wisdom we can get tons and tons of operational knowledge if we're just curious and we can prescribe all kinds of things out to the field, forms they have to fill out, things they have to sign, you know, things they have to upload from their mobile devices or whatever. We can count that and track that. And that gives us tons of data and tons of general knowledge. But I don't think it gives us a tremendous amount of wisdom. The wisdom comes from, you know, looking at how things have been going, talking to workers managers, supervisors, people in the field about how that job is going, how the, the best laid plans that we've given them are actually you know, possible to implement. Define what, that a little further. What's the difference in your mind between knowledge and wisdom other than spelling? I totally get that they're spelled different. Knowledge is like zucchini. Like I know zucchini is a fruit, okay? Wisdom is don't put zucchini in fruit salad, <laughs> right? Okay. And I didn't completely make that up, but I mean, I can't remember where I heard that, but I, it always makes sense to me. I, so I guess wisdom is knowledge that's loaded up with a bunch of context. Okay. And that's a good and, way. Yeah. And when we talk about like, you know, pre-job versus post-job or looking at work as imagined, you know, right before we touch it and work as to how it's going. I think that's really a, a place where we can dip into wisdom because what we're, what we're getting from workers and, and people in the field then is not asking them so much to forecast the future and imagine things, which, like I said, there's utility to. Right. I mean, that micro simulation. I mean, that's why planning is important. Right. It but allows you to simulate the work. Totally. And we need that. But what, what asking about normal work where things go right and, and the, st the great stuff we get out of learning teams after we have you know events or near misses is that we're no longer talking about the theoretical. We're no longer talking about the simulated. We're talking about the actual lived experience. And in that actual lived experience, there's just a tremendous amount of information that we can, you know, turn, into, knowledge, you do, turn into data. How do you do that on a pre-job or, or, or whatever this? I think some of the best pre-jobs pre talk over. about how things are going you Normally. Know, on the job. You know, so, hey, uh, today we're going to be doing this. How'd yesterday go? Where did you find that you had to struggle? Where, you know, what surprised you about yesterday, if anything? You know, and, and, and from that place, you're going to dip into that well of operational uh, intelligence that's going to tell you where your plans are good and where your plans are maybe not so good. 
and where your plans are just completely unworkable. And it's really been interesting in this COVID time now. Right. Because we've had forced upon us, you know, across all industries and, and disciplines, um, almost by necessity, a, 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 a distancing from the coal face, from the people who are working. Because, you know, I mean, just physical isolation for one thing or people who have transitioned to working from home. And I find it one of the most interesting conversations that I've been having with people who have kind of transitioned these past several months into that is like, so now that you're not there every day, you know, now that you're not there making sure that, you know, every T is crossed and I dotted and, you know, we're making all of our metrics, um, what's changed? You know, are you seeing more events? Are you seeing fewer events? You know, when you're not right there over the shoulder of the work, you know, enforcing compliance and you check back into the work, what have they you know, for lack of a better term, what have they let slip, you know, or what have they really continued to do, even though you weren't there making them do it? And I think there's a lot of valuable information there because we're going to talk to our workers about what's the essence of what actually keeps us safe and productive and what is the noise that may be coming out of this we don't need to have anymore. So, you know, I just spent, uh, <clears throat> I've been trying to isolate, you know, and I'll say this, by the way, Todd. I think this is the first live podcast you've done in a right? That's because we're in a pod. We're in, we're a, in a pod. pod so we're so in we a bubble. So my wife, Todd, and I were in a small little bubble here in Santa Fe. So we're, we're safe. So we feel right. okay going to each other's places and stuff like that. But, but man, the, the, the COVID thing has changed, you know, so much of everything. So I was just, uh, uh, one of my efforts to, uh, completely isolate was, uh, to just, I got a short notice opportunity to go on a three week long, uh, river trip down Grand Canyon, just to row a boat down the river with some, some friends who were also, you know, isolated and the trip went really, really well. And if you've, if you haven't done that trip, you should certainly try, put it on the bucket list, but you'll notice that it's usually about a two year planning horizon for people doing private trips or a one year planning horizon for people doing commercial trips. And then, you know, we picked up a cancellation with a bunch of real experienced folks and we had about two weeks notice. So pulled the whole trip together. It went off without a hitch. Interesting thing is, is yeah, it wasn't your first trip though, right? I mean, you guys no, no. I think the entire trip had um, several hundred yeah. trips down there combined, so it was good. You know, it kind of took care of itself. But the interesting thing to me was, I was a little bit nervous because I hadn't been down there in like almost eighteen months, and uh, <clears throat> and then all of this stuff intruded. So of course, you know, with the shutdowns and with everything else, um, you know, the presence of the the hand of the agency, in that case, the park service, you know, who's charged with taking care of the place. And there's lots and lots of, you know, really good rules and regulations and stuff like that, that they enforced upon this community of people who are doing, you know, that level of like kind of expedition level river running. And my worry was that, uh, after having not been there for 18 months, I would get down there and see that, you know, uh, there was trash, there were illegal campfires, people were camping in places where they're not supposed to camp because of delicate archeology span and stuff like that. And that was just not the case. And even though there's been basically zero in the level of enforcement um, and the, and probably the threat of getting caught doing something wrong, um, people are still doing the right thing because there's a really high fidelity between, you know, the, the, what the rules intend to do and the values that the people who have them, you know, who are implementing those rules share. So that's a really important thing. I mean, that's a really valuable case study you're just making. So when, when left on their own devices, People who could easily break all the rules of the Grand Canyon camping, you know, not carry their poop out or yeah, at the I, worst. That's the only one you know? I could. Well, that's the only one I could think of. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
That okay. one rises to, to my, <laughs> That yeah. seems like a bad but one. plenty of things, you know, right. like, you know, b- splitting up their trip so they can get ahead of another trip and, you know, be socially mean and get a, you know, steal somebody's camp and all the things that could happen. None of that's happening. None of that's happening because it, the, the community substitute the word workforce, you know, organization, organization understands that, you, you know, um, but again, there's there's high fidelity between why we have these rules and why we do these rules. The rules exist for a reason. I understand the reason. Right. So they're easy to support. Easy but it's also a super great time to figure out which of your rules are just kind of stupid or not implementable. So what did you not miss? Uh, I can't say exactly. <clears throat> I mean, I can't say, Todd, but there, no damage was caused. <laughs> okay. Or at least physical damage. Well, I, I don't think I'm asking you what rule did you break. But oh. with less regulator presence... You didn't see a difference in the actual production outcome. I mean, the, the right, no. experience was still the experience. Yeah, the experience was the experience, and importantly, the you know the people who were there days ahead of us and the people who were coming days behind us were doing the same thing, so that the place was being well taken care of, which is important. You know, so but again, getting back to that, so that going into your your organization and and your work and just and honestly asking those questions, you know, now that we're not here with you every day, you know like breathing down your neck um what's changed you know what's what's different and uh, why are you still doing these things that we think we have to really make sure that you do and you're probably gonna hear stories about well i do that because i want to get home at the end of the day and i do that because that rule makes really really good sense what um, do what do like field superintendents and supervisors that that level because that's the level that i think is in the pinch always yeah what do they say when you talk about this because that's a crew you work with a lot. Yeah, so they talk about this. The, the, well, to a person, and I totally get this because I've been in their shoes. Is like, please don't give me another program. Please don't give me something else to fill out. Please, you know, and uh, please don't make me impose on my workers. You know, some extra thing they have to do because we never get rid of the other stuff that we used to do, and it becomes cumbersome. So I hear that all the time, and and so we have conversations, and then we like kind of micro experiment and practice with things like how do we you know, get ask for and get honest communication from our folks about, you know, what's going on in our work and how we can improve and how we can be safer and better and lots of ways to do that. So conversationally, like restructuring the way they have the, you know, the beginning of the day briefing, that's one way. One of my favorite ways that I've seen, and I've seen this in several, I've seen this in some maritime stuff. I've seen it in some, you know, um, uh, big, you know, high functioning, uh, uh, power distribution people, linemen and stuff. And, uh, and I've seen it, you know, with some ski patrol stuff where they simply have a whiteboard, a whiteboard that is basically owned by a space that's given to the workers. And, uh, and there are several different ways to do it. I've seen it once, one place where it's just completely freeform, where the superintendent said, you know what, anything you want me to know and you can't catch my attention or anything you want everybody else to know or things that you think are good about this job or bad about this job, feel free to write them on the board. You can do it anonymously or not because we have, you know, I'm handwriting experts. We can always figure out who wrote what, right? <laughs> you know, you just put it up there. And there's a little bit of reluctance at first. You're like, oh, my God, people are going to put inappropriate stuff up there, draw dirty pictures and whatnot. And, you know, yeah, that happens once maybe. And then it goes away. But then what you start to see is this evolution of people starting to just put stuff on there, sometimes with the cover of anonymity. And sometimes they just kind of stand around in the morning during that pre-job phase and say, you know, what did we put up here last week or yesterday? Have a look at it. And I've also seen it with a little more structure where at the at the end of the day or the end of the shift, they get together for kind of a debrief and they have, you know, a small portable whiteboard. They pull out that whiteboard 
uh, when they start the project, they start in the upper left-hand corner. They write the things about, like, you know, what do these guys and folks need to know tomorrow? What surprised us today? What's working? What's not? Just general operational tips, like, hey, those bolts were going to be three days delayed, so we might have to change what we do. All that operational information. And it goes up there, and eventually, you know, and then that gets a box in the upper left-hand corner. The next day, you put in another box below it. You know, after about two and a half weeks or so, the whole board is full, and then you just start erasing the old stuff and putting in the new stuff. And so any any manager, any worker, any new person on that job can come in and look and get a snapshot of what's going on operationally. And and the way you feed that is by responding to it right. appropriately. You know, and so there's going to be stuff on the board. You're like, yeah, yeah, folks, we're never going to be able to fix this. You know, we'll we'll go broke trying to fix this particular thing, but we can fix these other six or seven things, or we can discuss these things, or we can dive in and learn more about, you know, these pinch points where we're having problems. And then you kind of write the results in there. Like we don't do this anymore, or now we're doing this this way or stand by for a great PowerPoint training on this topic, which everybody loves to hear, you know, <laughs> and they see, and see, they see this living progression in a very casual way of, of how things are going. And it prompts, and what it does is, so the downside is what? Hard to count, hard to quantify. Yeah, right? I, I don't know how you'd measure it, but who cares? Yeah, incre- uh, well, that's, and that's the point. Incremental improvement and even like landslide improvement um, is hard to count. You right. know, the, the outcomes based on it are hard to count. It's just that you got better. You know? And so uh, if you try to, to, over, to, to turn it too much into a data point or a metric, then you, you can kind of starve some of the oxygen out of it. So what's a perfect pre-job look like? Perfect brief job? Yeah. Sorry sorry about that alliteration. Keyword brief. A pleasingly perfect Keyword pre-job. brief and not redundant. And and open. And the openness and the comfort to speak up. I think, you know, my biggest concern about people speaking up, and I've, you know, years of experience with this, especially in emergency operations where you're, like, briefing a team that's got a good doing some, some hazardous stuff. The biggest concern you have as the incident commander is that somebody, maybe even the most junior person on this team, um, has a thought but they're not going to jump in and express it because there's always that social hazard of, of doing so. Right. That, that, that idea of like discounting the future, you know, that if I speak up right now, um, it, I, it, I will certainly get a reaction and it could be negative or it could be positive. And you fear the negative, right? You fear the, you know, the, the lack of you know, peer support yeah, rejection. or the anguish of a supervisor, you know, and you want to be able to take it back. So there's, a, there's always an upfront cost to speaking up. Uh, whereas if you don't speak up, um, the chances are that, you know, the bad thing you were concerned about probably isn't going to happen that day and you would have been maybe seen a fool. And so you just kind of keep your mouth shut and, you know, and probably nothing goes wrong that day. But what you really want to get people to do is, is bring up all that stuff, you know, and it, it, I mean, if you've got somebody, you know, who's totally spinning out of control talking about, you know, force fields and meteors, you know, well, that's, you know, we'll call human resources on that, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or that part of human resources, I don't my, know. My foil hat no longer fits. Right, exactly, you know. <clears throat> but I, actually, that's good information, too. I want to know if I've got, like, you know, <laughs> some space junkie on my crew. But, but no, uh, uh, getting back to your original question, because I, I rambled, sorry, Todd. It's fine. You know, but I never get to talk to anybody. I know, no, it's fine. It's <laughs> totally fine. So, uh is brief, you know, and concise and not overly bureaucratized. Hard to measure necessarily in a, you know, lockstep fundamental way each day like we did 10 of these, but operationally tr- way, way more valuable. So it sounds like if I can say this and tell me if I'm wrong, that when you go and help 
organizations look at this very special moment, this sacred time of pre-job, you really help them do three things. One is really talk about normal work. Two is make it incredibly transparent. And three, make it brief and valuable. Yes. Valueful. Yes. Value-filled. Value-filled. Thank you. Value added. Value added. Uh, I didn't want to say. I was, that's what I was trying not to say. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> right? Right. That's so interesting. How's it work? It works great because it, it, it makes things just a little less uh, redundant and, you know, and bureaucratic. You know, I mean, we need bureaucracy to some degree, but people are not necessarily bureaucratic creatures. And they want to be heard. The beautiful thing is, is if you water it, you nurture it, you grow it, and you have those conversations, and that expectation becomes, you know, something that you just normally do. What you end up getting is just more and more. Yeah. You get a higher quality yeah. of information because people know what you're interested in hearing and what they need to tell you, and uh, and you get and actually a lot of the fluff stuff just kind of goes away. Because it's not necessary. It's not necessary. We didn't miss it when you yeah, were gone. So, like, if Chuck, you know, and, and forgive me, Chuck. You know, whatever for the many Chucks out there. Um, if Chuck every Monday, all he can talk about is his computer isn't fast enough, and this place needs to buy better computers. You know, by Thursday, Chuck's been heard, and he knows he's been heard, and maybe he gets a new computer at some point. But what I'm saying is, the quality of the information upticks over time because it's human. We want to tell our stories. We want to talk about what's going on in our lives. We we, we probably show up to work to add some value. And, and add value to the larger organization and to the people that we work with. So when given that opportunity, it's not just, you know, a checkbox on a form that says, yes, you know, I wore all of my PPE and I paid attention to all of our procedures. They're, they're micro stories and sometimes macro stories about what's really, really going on on your projects and the people that you're paying to come in and do this work. How on earth are you doing this on Zoom or Teams? That, that To me, that's, and you are. Well, I but, didn't. I, I I was quite reluctant at first. Well, of course, because it's, because it doesn't seem like it'd work. I don't know about you, Todd, and I wish that this never happened to the world. But I don't miss getting on airplanes every <laughs> yeah. day. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't I'd miss airports. My wrath, but I, I, I miss it to some extent. But to that level. But when we first kind of shut down from doing this stuff, and and then we still had demand because we had all kinds of yeah yeah. I mean, we had, well, the work's busy, still busy there. season yeah. planned up, and then all of that stuff canceled, and then people were like, you know, well, we're not going to be able to get together live, but we'd like to get, we really want to keep this message and momentum going, you know, with this this band of our, our our workforce, you know, what can we do? And so experimented with a little bit, and um, and and I mean, nobody out there that I know of is um, just dying for another Zoom call or PowerPoint presentation. But what I've found is actually nice, and I've been getting good feedback on is, um, you know, some some good, relevant, factual storytelling about how to implement this stuff. And, on your sto- and storytelling, in my experience, and and I, I mean, I've thought about this a lot. It seems pretty successful over Zoom or Teams. I, or whatever. Yeah, because you know, it's got that discovery channel value to it. Like people wonder what's going to happen next. You know, and 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 I like to take people. And talk to them. So if my premise is going to be um, you're very likely, and I hope you never have it, but when, God forbid, you have that next you know, operational catastrophe, um, it's not going to come from some crazy day when people just showed up and did crazy wrong stuff. It's going to be a surprise that happened with people doing what they've been doing every single day as 
you know, their work kind of, you know, crept and drifted around, you know, all of our best laid plans. And so if we're tuned into that, we're going to get a lot more information. So I will tend to pick a story from uh, their particular industry. uh, But but more important than that, I'll start off with uh, some, some stories and anecdotes and descriptions and investigation results from uh, well outside of their particular industry. Because I think what that does is it sort of like just chops down a couple filters right away, you know, so you're not constantly thinking, well, I do that work and, oh, I can see what they did wrong here and I can see what they did wrong there, you know. But just show time and time again, you know, h- historically uh, very high-performing and successful teams on their worst day. And the fact that that worst day was a whole heck of a lot just like the days before when everything was successful. The ingredients for the failure that they had grew into and lived in their systems all this time, and we just didn't get out there and detect it. Wow. I mean, that's really profound because, I mean, that's really how it happens. That's that's smart. And, and you mostly, the audience that you talk to are not the workers per se. It's really the first line supervisor the people who are in charge of doing the pre-job yeah who who are obligated to have completed the pre-job and who have lived through you know an entire career's worth of you know whatever safety program some good some bad i didn't mean to say crap i meant to say say safety program sorry yeah um yeah so i love working with that group of people because they've got that look on their face they're like you know okay bosses want to go this way i kind of get it actually makes sense to me. Maybe this is the way I would like to be treated. If I had a bad day and something went wrong, I'm all for it. And now I've got to convince that, you know, my crews that, you know, I'm on board with this and I'm interested in asking better questions and learning more operationally and then actually doing things and responding in a way that makes us better. Um, they're in the toughest spot. Workers get it. I mean, I go to any worker and I say, hey, you know, the big bosses around here are thinking instead of just sending you home for three days if some guy, you know, that you haven't even met before gets his hand messed up in an accident and the whole crew gets sent home so you can go think about it and uh, versus they're going to come in, in in a very professional way and they're going to try to, you know, create some safety around people having conversations about the work you do every day. Which would you prefer? And only a couple of them will say, well, I'll take three days off any old time. I love it, you know. But, <laughs> but most of them say, oh, I, I would like that response. So the workers get it. The workers want to be, you know, in an environment where management is engaged that way. Management is often on board. And I would argue, and I think your experience would say that the most successful organizations at this, you know, were, is where upper management got on board early. Right. And started to see results. It's hard to do middle out. It's hard to do bottom up. So the best and easiest way is is kind of that top down but that always leaves that that middle the implementers right. the superintendents the foremen the supervisors on the ground and uh and so the conversations i have with them are, are fantastic and the great thing is you know uh it, it makes me really happy because uh you know when i'm done, done talking to a group of them i'll you know i always give my number and stuff i say you know give me a call if i can't pick up it means i'm talking to people like you but i'll always call you back and they and they're calling me this it's like you know, hey i got this whiteboard thing going you wouldn't believe what we just figured out today. This is crazy. That's so cool. You know, or they'll call up and say, you know, this is work. I don't understand this. This doesn't really work. And we'll talk about other things to try. That's so cool. Yeah. The, the, the edifying thing is, is that I think we're living in a world more and more, Todd, uh, for all the craziness in our world, where uh, industry management, government organizations that really do important stuff and have to succeed um, know that 
the only way to get better is to do the kinds of things that, you know, we run around breathlessly talking about. You know, yeah. The five principle stuff. It's not five pillars, five triangles or whatever. It's not a program. <laughs> five checklists. It's a different way of thinking. The idea when you have people who who've you know spent their whole careers like going from one program to the next who suddenly are just given the freedom and guidance uh, and creativity to uh, think about and conduct themselves differently and they get those benefits, there's no going back. And that's that's really nice to see. Did you just use the word edifying in a conversation? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, that, that was really, really, that was really, wow. that was amazing. Wow. Can I say perspicacious? Yeah, I don't know what that means. Neither do I. <laughs> but it sounds really good. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. That was amazing. God, Todd, it's really nice to see you. Not that I don't see you every day, but it's sort of fun to do a pod. Kind of a work. We're doing a work deal. We're doing a work thing. And later we're going to go have some papas and pa- Peruvian chilies in, in, in our portable Santa Fe bubble. That's right. Good Lord. Sweet. Take care, everybody. Missing you all. Over and out. And there you have it. Another podcast in the old podcast bin of podcasts. It was fun talking to Mark. He's great. He's so, just his background, what he brings to the table with a lifetime of chief rangering is amazing. I mean, those guys understand variability. They understand adaptive work and they absolutely understand the importance of really reliable and stable performance. It's pretty cool. I got to tell you, it's, it's cool. Probably cooler than what you did. Definitely cooler than what I did. That's cool, right? So that meets the cool test. So that is the pod again. Enjoy December. Merry Christmas. The holidays are nearly approaching us. So be ready for it. There's going to be a lot of excitement next year. 2021 is going to be a better year. Damn it. That is my goal. So until then, learn something new every single day. I bet you did today. That was an easy one today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That's really important. And for goodness sakes, be safe.